people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Because thou hast rejected knowledge, I will also reject thee, that thou shalt be no priest to me. Seeing thou hast forgotten the law of thy God, I will also forget thy children. As thy, as they were increased, so they sinned against me. Therefore will I change their glory into shame. And finally, are you ready? We're reading together again. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Just from those scriptures, if you're looking at those scriptures, I will offer four scriptural keys that help us as we're discovering knowledge. There is a principle in the word to gain knowledge. The first is foundational. The fear of the Lord is a foundational understanding. Anyone that cometh to God, the Bible says, must first believe that God is. Now, now, in a setting like this, we, we probably could easily bypass this because it's so elementary to the believer, to the disciple. But there must be a revelation for the people that the fear of the Lord or, or the recognition of the Lord, the respect of the Lord, uh, is fundamental. And within the scripture of Proverbs 1-7... There is a presentation, and it, and, it, and it is the opposing or the opposite of it. So those who fear the Lord would have knowledge. It's the beginning of it. It's, it's not the end of it. But there is an opposition to that, and, and, and it's a fool. The fool. Um, he would despise wisdom and despise instruction. Now this is... This is no trivial matter because to have knowledge of something is to have intimacy with it, especially when we're talking about the Lord. The, the second key to this um, is God's priority. So his priority is not a religious construct or ceremony. We find that in Hosea 6 and 6, right there on your page. I desired mercy, not sacrifice. This, if, if you read this uh, in today's world, it, it, wouldn't, it wouldn't mean as much. But if you read it or heard it in the day in which it was written, where sacrifices, blood sacrifices, were routine, were commanded, were, were not, just, not just routine, but traditional, not just traditional, but baked into their life. Uh, this is a stark contrast to, to the oxen being, being sacrificed, the turtle dove, the lamb, um, all of the sacrifices that would have been or, or, or could have been offered. God is presenting something, uh, a mercy. And then likewise, you could always look at the scripture, for I desired mercy, not sacrifice, and for I desired the knowledge of God, speaking in third person, then burnt offerings, to know God. So this is the priority of the Lord, but it's not always our priority because we like, we like to check boxes. We like to do uh, the church thing. It's not bad, but to know the Lord is better. 
Mercy is always better than the sacrifice. The knowledge of God is always better than whatever, uh, what, whatever labor that we would do for him to know the Lord. This is God's priority. Number three is, is a, is a, it's a strange, um, uh, concept to us. And I, and I want you just to look again at Hosea four and six. This is a lamenting savior. This is the lament of God that the people of God would reject the knowledge of God. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. What knowledge? Not, not, not world history, not, not mathematical equations, but the knowledge of God. They were destroyed because they didn't know him. They didn't know his heart. They didn't know his heart beat. And they rejected it. And because they rejected it, it wasn't, it wasn't just, um, bypassing. It wasn't forgetful. It was an outright rebuke to know God. We, we don't want him to know him. We don't want anything. We, we want to live our own life thinking that perhaps not knowing the law of the Lord might keep them from having the judgment of the Lord against them. Think now. And God said, because you have rejected this, I'm going to remove you from, from serving me, the priesthood. You forgot the law of the Lord and I'll forget your children. This is a, this is a great judgment because they didn't want the knowledge of God and they rejected the knowledge of God. And then of course I added verse seven in your reading because with increase, increase is gain. And in, in particular, there's two parts of this gain. That's not on your hand up, but you can write it. There's two parts of this gain. There's, there's a monetary gain or, or an asset gain. And also there's another gain, a gain of knowledge of trivial things or philosophy. And because they increased, they sinned and they thought they had attained something. But then God said, no, I'm going to change that into shame. So the third key of, of this, of this, of this uh, thread is disqualification. Because when you have no knowledge of God, it disqualifies you. And the danger, of course, in our, in our postmodern churches and Christianity is that people have a lot of knowledge of things, of, of, of maybe politics or sports or, or all different types of concepts, uh, maybe education, some emphasis or, or some understanding. But the church is not called to know all of that. We're called to know God, the knowledge of God. And if we don't know that, or if we reject it, then there's a disqualification. Now, let me just play this out in real time for you. Parents, mom or dad or both, have no Bible in their home, have no no study time, no conversation about the Lord. Thus, their children are, are grown, grow up in a home without prayer, without God, without the emphasis of any Bible study, any Bible studying. And what happens in this time now is that they grow up and they reject God. This is the easy rejection. It's not just what you say that defines you. But also it's what you don't say. There's, there are not, there's another sin. I, I, I don't, I don't have time to bear it out, but it's like this, it's a sin of omission. You didn't speak up when you should have. You didn't say, you didn't relate God. And so because of that, there's, there are generations in churches that are skipped where mom and dad have a commitment to God, but they don't share that with their children. 
Um, uh, grandma and grandpa have it, but they, they don't share that with their children or grandchildren. So they're committed, but they don't want to say anything to their children or grandchildren. And then there are some churches that have, their generations have skipped. So there's a, there's a line of people that are very committed. The next, the next group underneath them, they're nowhere to be found. And, and why is that? Because there was no knowledge of God, knowledge of his word. They increased but they, it didn't increase in the right way. And people boast of things that they have or boast of an educational, pro, educational prowess that they, that they possess. But unless you have knowledge of God, to know God and to know his word, you, you have nothing. It's flimsy. Amen. And I'll aim my, amen myself because it's okay for me to amen myself. You can. But not now. It's too late. Too late. Too late. When it comes back around. Okay. Number four. Are you ready? Number four. Here it is. Paul has a has an apprentice. Timothy is going to become, historically we know this, one of the most powerful pastors that the, that the, that the early church will ever see. Of course, he has a mother and a grandmother that are full of faith. He has a leader. We, we are not... We are not privy to who his father is. But we do know that his father in the gospel is none other than the apostle Paul. We do know that Timothy has a likeness of Joshua. Joshua to Moses, Timothy to Paul. And Timothy is, is, is a, it's a phenomenal, uh, phenomenal young man. And Paul, Paul even says, I don't, he has my full confidence. There's no doubt he's going to do everything like I would do it. He's imprinted um, on young Timothy. And he says to Timothy, study to show yourself approved unto God. This, this one line is critical for us because there are people who want to impress other people. But the impression has to be to God. A workman, this is work. You don't need to be ashamed. You're rightly divine the word of truth. And so this is an intentional pursuit. If you're going to know anything that's worth spiritual matters, it has to be intentional. And I need to say this to everyone. I'm grateful. Thank you for coming to Midweek Bible Study. Thank you for being faithful to Sunday Church. Thank you. I just want you to know, this cannot be the only place you hear the word. Sunday and Wednesday cannot be the only place that you read a scripture. You cannot do that. You will become anemic, spiritually anemic. You have to have a walk with God that is far deeper than whatever you experience in a midweek Bible study. I, I hope that all of us that are teaching in all the classes that happen throughout the year on midweek Bible studies, I, I hope they have richness and depth. But there is something about you at your table, at your coffee table, wherever you are, in the morning, in the afternoon, evening, reading the Word of God and absorbing the Scripture. You can read one Scripture, two or three Scriptures, and never fully uh, uh, understand it all. There's always depths and layers in the Scripture. It's got to be intentional. Nothing just jumps on you. It doesn't just fall in your lap. You have to seek God, pursue Him. So these are the keys, and we understand them through the Scripture. We want to have knowledge of God. And I'm going to present three bases of this to know. To know God, to know yourself, and to know others. And the first is to know God. 
Because in recognition of God, I, I, I see myself. Jesus said to Peter, who do men say that I am? Peter said, I mean, the disciples said, well, some say that you're a prophet. Some say you're Elijah. Some say you're a rabbi. Now watch, watch the progression. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus says, and thou art Peter. When you identify him, you find your identity. If you, if you ever want to know who you are, find out who he is and he'll tell you who you are. <laughs> Amen. Um, so there are, there are more than three aspects. Now, I can't exhaust all of these. We'd be here until like Thanksgiving. So can I just offer three and then, because also there's a little information overload and I don't want to give you information overload. There are no quizzes at the, I I would like to institute that maybe next year, but there are no quizzes at the end of these lessons. But I would like for you to go back and kind of dig into this and maybe you can even add more aspects of knowing God. The, the, The first, the first aspect, however, of knowing God is, is the thought of God. It, it, it comes from study. Um, to know God. When, when I met uh, Tammy, um, immediately I wanted to find out about her. I became a student of Tammy. I took Tammy 101. And I graduated from 101. I got to 201. Uh, I'm in my graduate program. I failed several of those courses. Um, And any husband worth his salt uh, will study his wife. He'll, He'll make her the subject of his days, his life. And I think that the, the, the clear reason for that is because when you love someone, you want to know about them. If, if, if you never got past their favorite color, uh, if that's all you know, then you're in big trouble. It, it can't be their favorite color. It can't, it can't just be their favorite food. It, it can't be just what they like to do on Saturdays. It, it can't be that, that you, you know that he likes you to clap your hands or, or that, 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 that God likes you to, to, you know, to be nice to people. There's got to be a lot more. There's a lot more. And, and what I'm concerned about is we don't study God or his thoughts. And you have to, you have to take him on and to know him, it takes time to know him. The word of God declares him his thoughts. Now, if you've been serving the Lord, and you, you can say, well, Pastor, I've been serving the Lord. I, I, I haven't done this all my life, maybe a couple years now. It takes a little while. This is not a crash course. It takes a little while. But if you'll stay with the Lord and you'll keep learning from the Lord. When I grew up, we sang the song, it gets sweeter and sweeter as the days go by. Every day is better. It's better than it was. I know him more. He's in, he is the same. I just didn't know he was that good. I didn't know that was his way. But I'm learning him. And as I learn him, I'm 
I'm, I'm learning, I'm, I'm figuring out who I am in that process. So I, I want you to, to understand this, that God has a thought. He even said, my thoughts are not your thoughts, but I'm pursuing his thoughts. He even said in Jeremiah, um, here's my thoughts to you, thoughts of good things and not of evil. We got to know what he's thinking. What, what's God's thought about us and about this world? Secondly, we have to manage our, our communication. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I skipped ahead. Prayer, prayer is our communication. Prayer. I'm, I'm, I'll get that. Prayer is our communication. So if, if you want to know God, you have to pray. And, and let me just, let me simplify prayer for you. It's talking to God. Surely you talk to God. If you don't talk to God, start talking to God. I, I'm not, I hope you, if you, if, if your best place to talk to God is on your knees with your hands folded, your eyes looking up, if, if that's it, fine. That's good. It, what, talk to God. You talk to other people. I talk to God. I don't wait for just my prayer time to talk to God. I talk to God throughout the day. I talk to him about things. I tell him how I'm feeling, even though I know he knows how I'm feeling. (laughs) He said to ask, and then the Bible also says, he knows what you have need of before you ask. What gives? (laughs) It's because... It's important for me to relay this to him. No one has a relationship with anyone unless you talk to that person. And so to know God, you have to talk to God. And you have to speak with him. And that is the communication. And then the Lord, as you're talking to God and you're studying his word, you'll discover the way that he speaks back to you. It's not the same for everyone. And number three is to serve. If you want to know how, how to have a relationship with God and know him, you serve. Because that's what he did. He came in the form of a servant in the likeness of men. No one really knows the Lord unless they serve. Jesus even said to his disciples, unless I wash your feet, you'll have no part with me. He said, this is what Jesus said, the servant is no greater than his master. If, if you look at the totality of the Lord's life, you're going to find servanthood all through the scripture. If you want to know the Lord, serve one another. Serve people. He said the first is going to be last. The last is going to be first. That was the servanthood mentality. And he said, your master or your leader will be the servant of all. So to know God, it takes studying his word. It takes time to pray, and it takes serving with other people. I want to know the Lord, Pastor. I, I, need, I, need to, I need more of God. Okay, here it is. This is it. Crack open your Bible. Start reading it. I mean, I, listen, I, I don't know if this is your first time. I, I wouldn't start with Revelation. I wouldn't, or, or you know... I wouldn't go right in the middle of Daniel chapter 9. I probably wouldn't start there. There's other places to begin. You can start in Matthew 1, you know. If you want to skip through the genealogies, you can get down there. Just, I don't know. But start reading the scripture somewhere. And, and read. 
and then take a little time and read and then write and then write a little bit and study a little bit. Who is God? He's going to declare himself in his word and then close the Bible and then talk to the Lord about your feelings, about your life, about your struggles, about what you're thankful for, about your fears. He already knows that. He understands that. That relationship will develop over time. This concerns me in, in, even in the Pentecostal churches. Now I'm going to give you a great concern that I have. When people are called on to pray, they don't know what to say in public. Oh, I don't, don't call on me, Pastor. Why? I'll tell you why we don't know what to say in, in, in public prayer. Cause we don't pray in private. You use your words in private to pray and you won't be embarrassed if someone says, would you lead us in prayer? Oh, not me. Oh, call somebody else. You're not going to get leprosy. You might get indigestion. And I understand if you're, if you're not forceful, but learn how to pray. You don't have to yell it, but learn how to pray. You learn how to pray when you pray to God. And when you pray in public, you don't have to pray in the King James English. But you can pray, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the day. Bless all my brothers and sisters. Keep us in your, in your care. Amen. I just gave you a prayer. Isn't that wonderful? You cannot use it because this is my prayer. Now make up your own prayer. Here's the problem. We're not talking to God. You talk to God. You won't be embarrassed or have nothing to say. You have nothing to say because you don't say it to him. And so when we're together, this is a great concern. It's happening all around the United States. There's a whole, there's a massive group of people. No one knows how to pray in public and they don't want to pray in public. And there's a reason why, because there's no private prayer rooms where we're talking to God. We've got to get back to knowing God. You're not going to know God until, until you talk to God. And when you talk to God, he'll start talking back to you. He might even challenge your thinking. He might even challenge what you just said. He has for me. He has for me. I said, I prayed something to God and I felt quickly. You're wrong. That's not, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> and then I repented. Cause He's working on me already. He's working on me already. Lord, do you want us to follow that direction? Immediately, a yes. Immediately, a no. I can feel it. It takes a few years, but you get in the routine. In, in some circles, in the military, at least, and there, there are other places, uh, I, I found out that there are other, that there are other drivers, there's some, some, um, the indie car drivers have this, and I suppose that many do. A trauma of doctors and nurses and caregivers, they have this. And it's called muscle memory. When you're in the battle, you don't want to think about what side your firearm is on. When people are being rushed in, you don't want to think about. Now, now let me go through the steps again. i got to get my cue card out. Okay, you're bleeding you, you're convulsing. Okay, okay. By the time you got to read the cue card, the person's dead. You're driving 200 miles an hour, and you're in, you're an indie car race. Okay, now what do I do? It's muscle memory. You know it so well. You don't have to think about it because your body is responding already. Your muscles are already in gear. You've done it so many times. We have to we have to get 
so close to God that even the scripture comes out of our mouth while we're praying for whatever thing. You want to take dominion over spirits? There are Bible scriptures. I've given you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and on all. Look, you've got to go back to the scripture because as you're reading the scripture, it gives you a muscle memory. To take authority over the devil. To pray for sickness and disease. To rebuke fear and doubt. Amen. I've got to know God. We have to know God. Before I know anything, I need to know the Lord. Not just the Lord's will, just to know him. Many people only pray when they want to know the Lord's will. If you know God, you'll probably find out the Lord's will. In fact, the closer you get to God the less you'll have to ask him what his will is because you'll find out his nature. And his nature is inside of his will. When you find his nature, this is how he does things. You'll already know God doesn't operate that way or he's not going to do that. Amen. We got to go on. We got too many things to fill in. Um, I want I want to I want to have a knowledge of myself to know yourself. Know yourself. This is this is a critical knowledge. It's a principle of life. If you can figure this out, it'll help you. You need to know your limitations. This is your this is your Bible. The Lord will not put on you, lay on you. We know this. I'm, I'm paraphrasing more than you can bear. He's not going to give you a burden that you can't carry. But you do. He didn't, but you do. I don't know. I, I don't know how I did this. Lord, Lord knows. I got, I don't know if I can handle all this. Well, well, you said yes too many times. You overcommitted. You took on a project. You sacrificed your church, your prayer, your Bible reading. And so you have to know your limitations, your strengths, your gifts, your weaknesses, your abilities. You have a limitation. Let me just tell you, you are not Superman. You're not Superwoman. I love the old report. I, it, was, it was a good report. I, I love that. Muhammad Ali got in the airplane, and he was bigger than life at the time. It was a TWA airplane. And uh, he got in the airplane, and the, the stewardess at the time, they would call them flight attendant now, said, uh, Mr. Ali, we're... We're going to take off. You need to put your seatbelt on. He said, Superman don't need no seatbelt. And she was really sweet. And she said, yes, but Superman doesn't need an airplane either. <laughs> yeah. You have a limitation. Can't consume all the stuff in this world. Can't do everything. You got to reserve your energy and your strength. I would say to you that Sunday ought not be the last day of a long weekend. Because if it is, if it is, you're not giving God any of your best. You're giving Him the last. So you got to know your limitations. It's okay. It's okay to know what you can handle, what you cannot. But you also need to know where your strengths are. And then, number two, you need to manage your expectations. Manage your expectations. It's very critical that we do this because some of us are in different seasons of life. And so, you have an expectation of things 
that might be unrealistic. You, you might have an expectation to achieve. This is happening in a younger generation. They have an expectation that they should have, let, let me, if I could say it, the proverbial gold watch, but they're only 25. And they haven't achieved. They have an expectation to understand everything, but they haven't read. They have an expectation to give counsel, but they've gone through no, no storms. And so everyone has to manage those, those expectations of life. And sometimes I, I know myself enough to, 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 even, to even not expect more of myself than I can handle. But also there's another side of that coin, to not expect less. Because if I lower that bar, then I'm not striving and I need to strive. You, you have to understand your call of God, what the call of God is on your life. And you have to understand within that call, there are seasons of life. My father is, uh, he's, he's 78 and he has a birthday coming up. And so his season of life is different. I remember dad as a young pastor. I remember him and all the things that he did as a young pastor. And um, I remember watching my father uh, working for the church, working at the church, helping the people, doing doing Bible studies and and painting and remodeling, and then and then he opened him and mom opened up the Christian school and and I can remember all of that, all of those things that he accomplished in the in that time. Um, but now the season is very very different. It's a very different season for him, and it will be for everyone. And so the call of God is still there, but the position is different. Amen. And then number three is to know the enemy or your adversary. You need to know the enemy. Let me just say this to you. It is my understanding that everyone has a different temptation. And the enemy has specifically zeroed in on you to trip you up in a way that's designed just for you. There is an adversary, a roaring lion. He wants to devour your life, but his tactics are not the same for everyone. Yes, doubt. Yes, fear. But there's a lot of other things within that that might just be customized to you. So you need to know your adversary. You need to know that that spirit or that, that thing that can come against you and be very careful. If you don't know that, then, then, then you don't know yourself. Because within that lies the possession of your soul and the strength that you need to keep. Amen. Don't give place to the devil. This is a standard remark. It's a standard command. Don't give place to the devil. Don't give any place to the devil. And if you give place to the devil, it doesn't mean that the door is wide open. It might just mean that he's got his foot in the door. And you can give place to the devil by entertaining something in your mind that just gives him a little room to operate. And you have to know what to keep out of your own heart and mind. Here's a couple notations. I want you to keep what you know. Keep what you know. Know the truth. Don't don't get rid of the truth. Buy the truth and sell it not, ladies and gentlemen. Keep what you know. When you found the Holy Ghost... You found it all. 
when you found the mighty God in Christ, which we recognize as the oneness of God, you found it all. Keep that. Don't let anyone persuade you of that. When you found holiness and set apart living, keep that. Don't give it up. Amen. When you found baptism in the name of Jesus, keep that. No matter what anyone says. All of it's vain philosophy, anything that opposes that. When you found the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Don't let anyone bring you off of that. That's scripture. That's not just your experience. That's the Bible. But there's other things you have to keep too. Sometimes you keep knowledge of things. Sometimes you keep your words. And, I, and I've offered this to you in Proverbs 13, 3. He that keepeth his mouth, well, he keeps his life. But a person that opens his lips, there's destruction. And, and on your handout, I think it's the next, if you turn it over, I'll, I'll just offer this to you. There's a thin line between negativity and sharing your burden. Be careful of that. But there's a large, well-defined line between sharing a prayer need and gossiping. And within all churches, this doesn't matter what, I've talked to so many different ministers from different places. This is just a standard rule. That people, they will, they will obey the scripture, but when it comes to sharing information about someone else, they do not believe that they'll be held accountable for that. Sometimes you have to keep your mouth. And then finally, this is my um, maybe something I would I would offer this church. And I don't know how other churches operate, but it might be good to keep your personal business to yourself, your personal finances, your personal failures. And some of your personal facts. (laughs) If you get a lot of money. Everyone's going to be happy with you. Until you don't share it with them. If your rich uncle dies. And they all know you have a rich uncle. Uh. You're going to have a lot more friends than you had yesterday. A lot. And if your finances are are in a wreck and things are dropping out, it might reveal something about you that you don't want everyone to know. And, And I understand confession. I do get that. But I think there's some things in your past you ought to keep in your past. If it's under the blood and you speak of it. That doesn't mean that God didn't forgive you. But now other people know about the things that you put under the blood. And chances are there's a lot of failures in every church and in this house that we ought not be talking about. And some of that incites other people and thinks about you in a different way. And and short of failure, just some facts don't always need to be told. (laughs) Well, yeah. It, it, it might sound benign, innocent, but sometimes it's good just to keep what you know. It's all right. Um, how, how are we doing? Maybe that's, is that too practical? Is it just too practical? Should I have offered like three or four scriptures and then we'd have said, oh, 
It's spiritual. It's really practical things. Very practical. Okay. And finally, we're knowing other people, knowing others. This is, this is a large segment because within, within this construct of knowing God and knowing ourselves, it, it, we, we now, we now understand that no one lives on an island. We are all intertwined. So I'm going to offer you three things in knowing others. And the first one is care. It's caring for people. It's caring for other people. It's, it's the care. It's the, it's the base of love in, in its full expression. You can say that you love someone, but when there's care involved, it is the full expression of, of love. And, and being redeemed by the blood does not remove us from care for one another. Um, if the church cared for the church, um, then there'd be a lot of healing and, and help. If the, if the church doesn't care, then the church looks for professional, professionals to do the job that the church ought to do. There was a day in America when the church house, the, the church building was at the center of town. They removed that and put the government building, the courthouses, became the center of town. There was a time when, when people who had trouble in their homes, they went to the mothers and the, and, and, and the senior men of the church for direction. And now they go to counselors and professionalized people. Uh, there, there, was a, there was a moment when, when if there was a need in the community, the churches got together and they took care of the need. And they gave instruction with good work, work ethics so that the people didn't just live on the handouts of the church. But now they go to the government for handouts because they think it's their right because they're alive. So we've got to get back to caring for one another. And when we start to care for one another... With love and speak the truth in love, we can even give direction. We can give direction. Here's First Peter 4 8. Above all things, have fervent charity among yourselves, for charity shall cover the multitude of sins. That word is love. Of course, it's the same derivative of love. And that's an interesting word that, that love or charity would cover someone else. It doesn't mean it removes it. But there's something about loving someone that's care. Um, I'm reading from, from James. I think these are all on your handout. James 5, 19. Brethren, if any of you do err from the truth and one convert him. So they left, but someone brings him back. Let him know that he which converteth the sinner from the error of his way shall save his soul from death. There's no greater thing than that. Shall hide a multitude of sins. There, how do you hide that? Be, be careful before you read too much of that. It's hidden because the Lord did the hiding. So it's not you didn't do that, but you brought them back, and then and then oh my goodness, there's a there's a multitude of sins that have been hidden. It's 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 covered by the blood of the Lamb of God. You're redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of God, and so so to to care for someone might be to rescue them. That might take some hard straight conversation. Galatians 6, 1. Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, anyone who's spiritual, the spiritual people restore. People who are not spiritual are not in the restoration business. There's a lot of people that are not in the restoration business, but they go to church. And they have, when someone's overtaken, they, they take occasion to belittle them or point it out. 
Did you hear about what happened to that person? But the spiritual people are in the business of restoring someone with meekness, spirit of meekness, because there is a consideration of yourself. And then finally you bear your burden of the brother or sister. And that's the law of Christ. So, so in your, on your handout, the opposing positions of covering and exposing. These are opposing positions to cover and expose. You can't do both. You can do one or the other. You can't, you can't have both. You do one or the other. The second bulletin is the recognition of personal consideration. In your caring, always think about where you came from and what you had and what, what was going on in your life. You care. There's, there's, there's a personal consideration. Ladies and gentlemen, when you forget, when you, when you reject or ignore your own fallibility, you become a Pharisee. You become, you become hateful and, and, and in a, in a, in a way, in a, in a very harsh way, you become abrasive because you have forgotten where you came from. When, when you, when you have no children, it's easy to say, or give it parental advice. When you have children, uh, you, you, you don't really want any advice, but you, you, you'd like to have some help. When your children are grown, you forgot, you forget. That you went through trouble. And the same thing happens in our walk with the Lord. And we got to be very, very careful. Because you have to have a consideration. And that's, that's what Paul was writing in, in Galatians 6 and 1. And finally, and finally, there's a family obligation here. It's the family obligation. If you have a family, you love your family. You help your family. You take care of your family. There's a church family obligation in this mix. Caring for one another is a church family obligation. Let me just tell you, the Baptists are not coming over here to pay our electric bill. The Methodists aren't coming over here to hug us and ask us how we're doing. The Catholic folks are not coming by on Sunday and say, we just want to drop by and pray for you because we heard that you were struggling and that you needed some help. No, this is a family obligation. And within this family, we have to care for one another. Extreme care is critical for the lifeblood and the health of the body. Amen. Praise God. Okay, we'll go, we'll go on. That wasn't exciting, but maybe maybe number two will will help us. It's caution. The word is caution. It's caution. It's the yellow triangle. It's caution. Red means stop. Green means go. And. Depending on who you are. Typically, yellow means caution. Now, not everybody believes that, but it's some people believe it means go faster. <laughs> some, I don't know, light turns yellow. I'm like, that was too fast. No, that was too fast. There's something wrong with that light. Should have stayed green longer. There's a caution here. You know the Bible is filled with caution. Where to go, what to say, where to live, what to eat, what not to eat. Who to communicate with. Cautions. There's a lot of cautions in the Bible. It's very critical there's cautions in the Bible. 
And of course, the whole world wants to live without caution. So when you see the spirit of the world, you're going to find out the world wants you to live without caution. There is no caution. All right. So we read the scripture, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets are going out into the world. Now, I've dissected this. I've heard this expository multiple times. But as I dig down and every year I get to this point, in my Bible reading, I go back to the same, the same conclusion each time. We're not talking about a demonic spirit that needs to be identified. We're talking about the spirit that resides inside of a person. Now, it could be a demonic spirit, but it's not a floating spirit out there. Uh, when I fly into different cities around the United States, I feel a hovering spirit. I, I don't know why, but I can feel that. I, I feel it. There's something there. There's something there. I don't always identify what it is, but a lot of it, it's imagery for me. When I flew into Salt Lake City, I've talked to Brother Coachfar about this. I, uh, there's some, there's a, there's a stronghold spirit there. But, but 1 John 4, 1, that's not what we're talking about because the end of that verse, the, 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 the second half of it is describing the false prophets that are gone out into the world. People that are used of the devil or people that have a bad spirit or people who have a personal, a personal agenda because there can be people that pro- proclaim themselves to be spiritual or prophets and they have a personal agenda. It's not a demonic spirit. It's a, it's a carnal thing. And so, and so there's a caution here. You don't just believe everything you hear or every spirit, but you try it to see it's of God and you test it out. It's a judgment that you have to make. And the reason why is because there's a lot of false information, of false prophets. And I don't think, Paul, I don't think John rather was just talking about his moment, but, but very specifically even now. There's a caution there. Here's Galatians 2.4. Um, I'm in, I'm reading from the NIV, but I'm in the, this is a, this is a dialogue that's, that's going on. Paul's talking to the church of Galatia, but I'm just catching it in midstream. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks. Uh, they were spying on our freedom. They wanted to enslave us. We, we didn't give room for them, not even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel could, could stay with you or remain in you. Um, and in that particular scripture, uh, you, you have, um, you, you have the infiltration. People were coming into the church and they were trying to change the core doctrines and they were trying to change the concepts of, of the liberty in Jesus Christ. And, and so there's a caution there. Uh, uh, they knew that the people that had come in were disruptors. They, 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 they opposed what was being preached. And Paul called them false brethren. And why would it be false brethren? Because they looked the part, they acted the part, they looked like a brother, but they were false brethren. And the reason why you know they're false brethren is because they change or attempt to change the doctrine that's been established. A brother doesn't change the doctrine. A false brother does. There's a caution there. Okay. There's a caution. I don't, I don't want you to walk around suspect of everybody. But I, I, I do think we need to have a little clue about us, you know. Because people have crazy notions and ideas about the Bible. And then all of a sudden, you can get way off track and you lose the core of your understanding and your faith in God. So, so to that, there are human spirits and they're often masked in spiritual language. 
but they're just human spirits. God showed me something. Really? Tell me what he showed you. I had a dream about you, okay? Not every one of those voices are of God. And you have to be... You have to be very careful. See, if you don't know God, if you don't go back to know God and have a prayer life and have a walk with God, know the word of God, communicate with the Lord, study the word of God, a false brethren, someone can walk in and share with you a spiritual insight that really comes from their own control over you. (laughs) Yes. The lady's name was Thelma, I think. Where are you? Brother Huttiger, are you in this room? Thelma, I think Thelma. And Thelma came to church and she had a t-shirt with her name on it, Thelma. And she had a, a plastic tote bag with a lot of stuff in it, big plastic tote bag. She had a 45 uh, caliber uh, handgun in it too. We didn't know that. We found out later. She had dreams for everybody. A lot of dreams, spiritual dreams. And she caught a lot of people after church, sometimes at the altar in the back, to share a dream. Now, all of them were a lie, but they sounded really good. They had spiritual overtones, Bible wrapped up in them, but they were all a lie. And by the time she exhausted herself among the congregation there in Missouri, um, uh, uh, she finally found her way to some other place and she'd walk wherever she wanted to go and she'd get a ride and she had spiritual dreams but this was to control your life she wanted to do that and someone picked her up one day and got in the car and she wanted to share one of those spiritual dreams and the driver whoever he was was having none of it and he said I don't want I don't want to hear what you have to say and I'm gonna let you off right now and she pulled out of that bag her 45 caliber weapon and said you're going to hear what I have heard from God. And I don't know how long they were in that car, but that guy got a full dose of dreams, visions, principalities, powers, things to come. Last I heard, he survived. God love him. Not everything is demonic spirits. Some are just human spirits. But they, they know the spiritual language. And then there are carnal spirits. And carnal spirits are often hidden in reasonable ambitions. Well, now, Pastor, you know what? I gotta keep food on the table. I'd like to be in church, but I, I don't have time. I, I'd like to come to prayer. You know, I wanted to come to prayer last year, but you know, we just had a lot of things going on and, and we're just trying to take care of my family. You know, I, I, I want to give in the offering, but you know, I'll tell you what, old Uncle Sam, you know, he, yeah. the reasonable ambitions, reasonable things, but they're not reasonable to God. They're in, they're in rejection to God. They're, they're a rebuttal to God. And carnal spirits are everywhere today. Carnality is as high as it's ever been. It's, it's as high as it's ever been. And the reason why carnality is high is because, once again, we forgot who God is and what his word is and what the knowledge of God is and to know God. And we're, we're, the people are being destroyed for lack of knowledge of God. 
And we know trivia. We have internet. We have, we have, we have, we have all kinds of search engines. We can find out tidbits of information just with your cell phone in a moment of time. You can win almost every trivial argument that you ever want to win. But to know God, you cannot find God on a, on a, on a puzzle piece. He's gonna, you're gonna, it's gonna take time to understand the Lord. And, and as you do that, it's gonna drive out your carnal spirit. And when I hear people give reasonable ambitions and reasonable explanations about why they don't do the spiritual thing or don't do the godly thing. I understand that's just carnality. That's all it is, just carnal. And it afflicts everybody. <laughs> so we got we to gotta watch that, don't we? We got to think about it. And, and we've got to have some caution. And finally, there's the rebellious spirit. Now, the Bible says that rebellion is as the sin or more literally is the sin of witchcraft. Rebellion is witchcraft. And I, I taught a whole night on rebellion. If you can find that lesson on a Wednesday night, it's been a few months back, I would refer back to that so that we wouldn't go through the whole thing tonight. But, but the rebellious spirit is not, this is not, this not demonic spirit. This is a human spirit. It's something that people put on themselves. They reject submission and they reject authority and they preserve their self-interest every time. Every time. A rebellious spirit always rejects authority, always rejects any sort of submission, and will always preserve themselves. And, and there's a caution there. And finally, the last one tonight in knowing others is clarity. There's got to be some clarity. This is even a little bit it's, there's some there's some beauty and some danger in 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 clarity, brethren. Philippians three seventeen. Be followers together of me, and mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. It's an amazing thing. Paul would even say in another passage of scripture, "Follow me as I follow Christ." I, I want I want you to know. In this house, there are, there are beautiful examples of faithful men and women that we can follow. There are, there are great prayer warriors and people who serve and love the Lord. And I think that just given the scripture, they'll give us clarity for, uh, for our lives. It's the how-to. How, how should I live? How should I walk? And there's, there's a danger in this too because we can have clarity to uncover something, to know someone. So in Philippians 3.17, we mark the, the people that are walking uprightly. But in Romans 6.17, we mark the people that are contrary. Mark them which cause divisions, offenses, contrary to the doctrine, things you've learned. Because really... They're not serving the Lord. They're serving themselves. Good words, fair speeches. They deceive the hearts of the simple. Mark them. Now, this is not a regular practice in, 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 in the modern church. Because people are afraid to do that. And once again, because we don't know God. And we don't know, we don't know ourselves. But we got to stop being spineless. And we've got to recognize 
that, that there, there, there can be corruption around us and we've got to focus ourselves on the Lord. I'm, I'm offering this to you. Spiritual patterns give knowledge to those who follow. I've had so many wonderful examples in my life. In fact, I often say this. I am a culmination of a thousand sermons that I heard as a child. Of a thousand revivals. I am, I am the accumulation of, of a thousand prayer meetings that I, 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 I was brought to. A thousands of Bible lessons and hundreds and hundreds of camps and revivals. All of those beautiful people, some of them have gone on to be with the Lord and are resting now with the Lord. Incredible saints of God in my childhood. I, I, I remember the way they worshiped and how they clapped and what they said and how they carried themselves and, and their Bibles. I can distinctly remember one of the gentleman's Bible and how it looked and, and, and it was frayed on the edges. And when he opened it up, there was, there was writings and markings and colorings and dots and, 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 and papers in it. And it, it put an imprint in my mind. He studied the Word of God and I, I, these, these examples are powerful. And this is what the whole body ought to be. Because some people only lead if they're speaking. But you're leading every day of your life. And people need to have something to follow. I'm going to say this again. And I'll, I'll, I'll probably keep saying it. There is no such thing as a void. If you're not speaking, someone else is talking. There's no such thing as a void. And so there's got to be someone who is, is leading. And there will be someone... Uh, behind you, the following. So we're marking them, but we're also marking another individual. We're marking people who cause great division in the church and offenses. And that is very infrequent. And it, it ought to be very infrequent. But this is how we do it here. From, from a long time ago, but, but Sister Tammy and I have finally got to this point. First, it's instruction. Second, it's correction. And third, it's rebuke. This is in your Bible. First, it's instruction. This is what's happening tonight. But, it, but if, if people can't take instruction, then there has to be correction. And most people don't want correction. And very few people can withstand rebuke, even though that is in the Scripture. They will not be rebuked. But it might the rebuke might just save your life. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Read it in your Bible. But with sweetness, you'll die with sweetness. Oh, you're okay. Don't worry about that. You know, you were just having a bad day. No, you're not. You're acting like a devil. Grow up. (laughs) That's a harsh pastor. Well, there are times when we have to understand that we mark the, 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 the person who caused great division in the church. Paul even had to address this because there was a perverted sexual encounters going on in the church. And he said, you bypassed it and you acted like it's nothing. But I'm calling it out. That's what Paul said. I'm calling that out. No one wanted to touch the matter. No one wanted to say anything. And Paul said, oh no, I'm writing. This is a perverseness and you're going to have to deal with this thing. And he marked that situation because it was a perverse situation. So it's got to be the house of God. We've, we've got to have order. We've got to have purity. We've got to have the word of the Lord. We've, we, 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 we've got to have holiness and godliness. 
If we can't have it here, we'll have it nowhere. (laughs) There's got to be a standard, at least in the church. The temple shekel has got to remain in place. Does anyone not know about the temple shekel? Just raise your hand. I'm not sure about it. Okay, thank you. Here's the temple shekel. In the temple was a shekel. It was never touched. Anyone who did business on the outside would use the shekel, but sometimes they would shave off some of that. And, 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 and over time, the big shekel would become smaller and they would take those shavings, melt it down, make another one. And so in the community at large, in the public arena and the marketplace, they had shekels that were not the right size. They were, they were cheating one another. And so what they would do from time to time, they'd take all those shekels and bring them in. They'd measure them to the temple shekel to see if they had the same weight, the same diameter, the same thickness. Because it was, it was the judgment that started in the house of God to measure what was right on the outside, not from the outside to the inside. Whatever was in the inside, this is what it's supposed to be. This is how it should be. This is how it should be done. And if it's, if it's being done out there a different way, then they're wrong and this is right. Wait a second. If this is not right, we have no measurement of standard. If this is not holy, there is no holiness out there. If this is not purity, there is no purity in the world. If the children of the most high God are not in fact a holy priesthood, a royal nation, that there is no, there is no standard in the world. This is not subjectivism. This is not what you think or what I think. There's no vote on the Bible. This is the holy word of God. He's true. Everybody else can lie, but he's true. The word is true. Amen. So we got to get to this point. Hear me. We got to get to this point. God has got to be esteemed in his house. We've got to abide by the word of the Lord. I want to know you. I want to know my, I want to know myself and I want to know everybody else. I want to have that knowledge in my mind, Lord. Amen. And when it, and when it happens, we're going to know. We already know. Listen, you don't have to change anything about yourself. Stay the, I hope you change something by next Sunday. But if you don't change anything about yourself and you don't do that for a year or two, you are so different from the world already. You are surely a foreigner in a strange place. You're an alien in a strange land. I'm glad when the saints say, I just don't get it. I I just don't understand. Good. I'm glad you don't understand what's happening out there because I don't understand either. I want to get back to the book. I want to get back to the love of the Lord. I want to get back to what God has to say. Amen. Amen. There are no more blanks. And that means we're done with our lesson. Please stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for the purity of your word. Thank you, Lord, for the knowledge that we have in you and for the knowledge that we are gaining in you. I pray for the body of believers. Strengthen our hearts in Jesus' name and our minds, our spirits, Lord. Give us understanding and enlightenment, Lord, I pray. And we give you praise and thanks. We give you great praise and thanks, Lord. You're a holy God. We adore you. We esteem you. We exalt you. We extol you. You are the Lord God. You omnipotent, you reign, Lord. There is no God like you. Keep us, Lord, in your safe, in your safe keeping, Lord, because there's no place we would rather be than in your hand, Lord. No one can pluck us out of your hand, Lord, because you're a strong and mighty Savior. You are the Lord God of hosts, and there's none like you, Lord Jesus. We follow you, Lord, in everything that we do. We esteem your word and your name. 
Your name is high and lifted up. There's no name like your name. Your spirit, there's only one spirit. It's your Holy Spirit, Lord. So we rely upon that spirit, Lord Jesus. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do your great work in us. As we pursue you, Lord, we want to know you, Lord. In Jesus' holy name, amen. All the people said amen.